Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book Twice Freed by Patricia Sanjin with permission of Christian Focus Publications. And we are reading Chapter 18. Do you want a job? Onesimus was startled. He had been sitting half asleep in the spring sunshine on a crate at the edge of the forum. It was seldom possible to sleep much in Rome because of the noise of the populace by day and the noise of the vehicles at night, to say nothing of the bitter cold of winter and the raging heat of summer. But in a few weeks it would be spring, and the snow would melt on the Alban mountains. In the gardens along the banks of the Tiber, the grass would be green and flowers would bloom in spite of the crowd and the stench of the sewers. He had been half dreaming there on his crate, spring and colossi, the swollen torrents, the clean air from the heights, blessed silence broken only by the crying of the lambs, the narcissus along the watercourses. O oh, ye gods, why had he ever left it? Do you want a job? The voice was impatient. He lifted his head and looked at the speaker with blurred eyes. His face was thin and haggard, the face of a weary man. But he had worked as a drawer of water and had kept his muscles in good trim. The man in front of him seemed to be staring at his muscles and measuring his broad shoulders as though he might do something with them. What sort of job? Anything would be better than his present life, and only the night before, terrified by the collapse of a crazy top-heavy building in the street where he lived, he half decided to slip down to the river and make an end of it all. The Tiber was the common grave of thousands who could face life no longer, but the water was filthy and he feared death. Better to go on for a while. Things cannot always be as bad as this. Perhaps with the coming of spring, his luck would change. A good job, said the man. A job for a man with muscles and a chance to rise to fame and glory and riches. A chance to read the emperor court and to stand before the emperor himself. What about it? Come, and train as a gladiator. Nero's marriage will take place shortly and the games will be more brilliant, more daring than ever before. Onesimus looked at him thoughtfully and then gave a little laugh. A chance to die with a dagger through my belly and my head in the sand, he retorted. However, death is probably better than the life I lead now. Do you house and lodge me? Everything, replied the man. Fetch your goods and report to me this evening. You will take your oath and belong to the first gladiator troop in Italy. He turned away and Onesimus rose, walked slowly through the streets, his brain numb down the stinking, airless little alley with no breath of spring could ever come and where the dregs of the population huddled in constant fear of fire, collapsing masonry. He made his way to the four-tall-storied house where he had had his home in an attic under the roof with little ventilation and less air, where vermin blackened the, the walls at night and where he slept fitfully on a shelf of masonry sticking out from the wall. He had little to collect, a small bundle containing a change of clothing, a few coins, a blanket he had saved up to buy. He tied them around him and went to inform the landlord that the attic was now empty. Then he was out in the street with a free day ahead of him before he sold himself irrevocably, body, soul, into the keeping of the procurer, into a slavery that could be ended only by death or by the patrol of the wooden sword that signified repeated victory. How should he spend his last day of freedom? He would eat bountifully tonight, so he exchanged his few coins on some bread 
and wine and trudged out of the city. He went on past the circus under the arch of the trusses where he turned to gaze at the great imperial palace on, on the Palestine. All through the rows of suburban villas and the jolting crowds of peasants bringing their country produce into market until at last he was on the Appalachian Way with the Alden, Alpen Mountains lying in the cool morning sunshine to his left. Slipping between the tombs and statues that lined the road, he followed a little pathway up the hills and breakfast on a slope near a foaming stream. The grass all around him was starred with marigolds and daisies. Birds sang and young lambs bleated, and just below him in the valley in the orchard foamed with peach blossom. Nearby, a happy slave sang as he dug an irrigation trench, and a child laughed beside him. Everything heralded a, a fair new beginning, but Onesimus knew that for him it was the end. Two years ago, footsore and, hung, and hungry, he had walked the 140 miles to Rome and stood for the first time on the crest of the Appalachian Way and looked down, thrilled on the vast, densely populated capital. Here was the heart of the empire, the seat of the god-emperor, the land where the nations of the earth poured in their corn and their wine, their spices and merchandise, the city whose legions trampled to the farthest corners of the world. Surely here he would come to his own and find his freedom, lift up his head among men. Here, somewhere amongst these marble temples and glittering statues, he would find his fortune, and then he would hasten back over land, ocean, proud and free to Laodicea. He had quickly discovered that Rome had two faces, and neither of them had seen any good as yet. The golden god-like emperor, whom he had once seen reciting his own poems in a public theater, was a fat, hysterical, loose-mouthed young man who, it was whispered, had murdered his mother and his wife, banished his wisest counsel of Seneca, and all over Rome, slaves described his night orgies, where men and women ate until they vomited and then ate again, where wine flowed in fountains and the guests drank until they fell under the table. The face of the court was corrupt, cruel, pleasure-sinking, and fantastically luxurious. And the other face was the face of poverty. Thousands who were supported by the free corn that the emperor issued each spent their lives idly watching the games. But the strangers, the wretched, the wretched riffraff, who, like himself, had left their own countries, had been lured to Rome by its fair promises, were not eligible for the corn ration. Huddled in dens and in tottering, vastly overcrowded houses, they sought what living they could, or starving, sold themselves into slavery. Yes, it was what it had all come to. The struggles of the past two years had ended in this, a new and sinister slavery, with the almost certain prospect of violent death in exchange for food by which to prolong the ghastly business of living. He wandered on for a long time, far into the heart of the hills, breathing deeply the warm spring air, drinking from the unpolluted springs, looking perhaps for the last time on the greenness and flowers, trying not to remember. In the afternoon he turned back to the city, and before sunset he had taken his oath and signed. He had hired his, himself, body and soul, abandoning all human rights, to march at the command of the procurer. The enormous meal which was served up as soon as he entered into the barracks cheered him, for he had not seen a meal like this since he left Colossae. Wine flowed freely in the apartments where they were to live or comfortable 
with baths and gymnasiums. Perhaps as long as life lasted, it would be enjoyable, thought Onesimus. And then he looked around at his companions, and his heart sank. They were men with enormous frames and bulging muscles, giant-like men in full training, but their faces were coarse and brutalized with the shedding of blood, and many of them boasted scars. Most of them ate gluttonously and just jested and swore. There was to be no tournament tomorrow, and all they had to do was to enjoy themselves. It was not all that they liked that. Over in the corner sat a man, unlike any whom Onesimus had seen before, a fair-haired, blue-eyed giant who ate with restraint. He neither jested nor swore, and his face, as, as he looked around in the comp- on the company, was very sad. Once his eyes rested on the boy, he smiled a gentle, half-apologetic smile. But if the food and the lodging were the best, the training school was proportionally brutal. They were treated with the harshness of convicts, flogged and inflamed like animals, sweating and panting and cursing. They were daily driven through superhuman tests of strength and endurance and mercifully punished if they failed. By the end of the fourth day, Onesimus, lying exhausted on his back, wondered bitterly what real difference there was between them and the wild beasts in the cages of the amphitheater, whipped and snarling into learning tricks for the emperor's amusements. Opening his eyes, he was surprised to see the blue-eyed gladiator sitting beside him. Tomorrow's a festival, he said, speaking slowly with a foreign accent. Nero will sit on the emperor's throne in the amphitheater, and we will fight in couples to the death. You will be taken to watch and to become hardened to the sight of blood. Onesimus paled. And you, he asked, will you fight? Yes, I have fought twice before. "'struck down my opponents and won the palm. "'If I can win three or four more times more, "'they will give me my rudis, "'and I will be free of this vile, murderous business forever. "'But if you hate it so, why did you sign on?' "'I had no choice. "'I was brought over from Britain "'in the triumphal march of Alias Patus. "'Many of us were killed, "'but I was only a young boy, "'and he took me for his household slave.' For seven years I served him and his gentle wife, Pompalia, and then she was tried by order of the evil murderer, the emperor, because she served other gods than those which all Rome has discarded. Her household was broken up, and I was sold to a cruel, idle master. He died from drunkenness and carousing, and I, because of my great strength, was sold to the procurer. And if you gain your rudis, what will you do? He smiled his gentle smile that made him more of a stranger than ever in his coarse, violent company. Who gains his rudest becomes a rich man, he said. First I shall buy my freedom, and then for the next legion's march I shall go home. Home? To Britain. Yes, it was a good land. No scorching heavens and no screaming hideous cities. The earth is red and rich for plowing. The seas are cold and gray and purple heather rises from the rocks to meet a gray sky. Our wattled hut was close to the shore. Maybe it still stands. Whom will you fight? I do not know. We cast lots for our partners. Look well at your comrades tonight, Onesimus. Only half half of them will return. The blunt and padded weapons with which you learn to thrush and lunge will be all discarded tomorrow in exchange for swords and daggers of sharpened steel. 
A lavish banquet had been prepared for the gladiators that night, and the public was admitted to view the heroes of the morrow. Most of the gladiators gorged and jested, for if it was their last hours on earth were few, let them enjoy what remained. Some ate sparingly and drank little for fear of dulling their senses, and some, the fear and shadow of death already fallen upon them, wept and called on their gods. To Onesimus it was ghastly sinister meal, and he had little appetite. He managed to sit near the Breton and drew strength from the older man's sad calm. He had cared for no one for so long, but now he suddenly found himself longing passionately for that his friend should win and be free and go back to the strange, cold northern land, to his fathers and to his gods. What gods do you worship in the land of Britain? asked Onesimus suddenly. The man turned thoughtfully. In my country we worship the gods of thunder and war, and to them I cry in the arena. But my mistress, Pompania, worshipped a god of mercy and peace and love, who called all men to him, Jews and Gentile, bond, free, male, female, the grown man and the little child. If I die tomorrow, I commit my spirit to the god of Pompania. Onesimus stared, and the color drained away from his face. Again? Were those tireless feet once again catching up on him? They must surely be the same. No other god had called himself the god of mercy and peace and love. The years rolled back, and he forgot the belching and the sucking and the loud laughter going on around him in defiance of death. He seemed to smell sweet herbs hot in the sunshine, to see a face lifted to his, framed in flowers, and to hear a voice say sadly, Did any of our own gods say, Let the little children come to me? I think only Christ said that. I love you, and uh, tomorrow we'll be reading chapter 19. And I'm praying for you. Bye-bye.